everyone. Thanks so much for joining us today. Welcome to episode 54 of the Practicology Podcast and episode number one in our February 2022 I Love to Read Month special. You know that the book of Jude tells us in the scriptures to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. One of the ways we do that is by learning more about our faith. Obviously, the scriptures are the foundation, but we are also reading through key Bible concepts this month together. I hope you're joining us in that. It's written by David Gooding and John Lennox, a wonderful book explaining the basics of our faith and the gospel. And all of the episodes that we're going to be dropping during the month of February relate to subjects that are explained in that book, Key Bible Concepts. If you're not reading that book, that's okay. You're still going to enjoy these episodes, hopefully. But if you are reading that book, let us know if you complete it, and we'll put your name in a draw for another David Gooding book that we will send to you for free. This week, our reading included the chapter on holiness, one of the first chapters in that book. So, Mike, you're going to talk to us about the holiness of God And I wonder if it's fair to say that God's holiness is maybe not as popular with us as his love and grace. Yeah, I think that is fair to say, but I think we're wrong to feel that way. And I hope to convince us all of that by the time this episode is over. Let's start at the only logical place to start, which very clearly is the Loch Ness Monster. Very logical. Um, (laughs) Yes. I remember hearing about this guy named Steve Felton. He visited Loch Ness as a seven-year-old boy. And as he looked at the lake and he heard about sightings of this mysterious creature in its waters, a sense of wonder and awe awakened in him that grew into a consuming passion as he got older, leading him in 1991 to quit his job installing home security systems, sell his house, buy a van, and live in that van, devoting his life uh, on the shores of Loch Ness to the search of Nessie. And as far as I know, he's still searching for her to this day. And the holiness of God can do to seven-year-old boys and girls what the mystery of Nessie did to Steve Felton. I remember hearing a preacher come to my town and preach on the attributes of God and the holiness of God. And and I was hooked. Then later as a teenager, I was in the home of Dave and Ruth Wood. It was a Saturday night. And as usual, my parents had taken me to youth night. We'd played, you know, one or two of our favorite games for on a couch or upset the fruit basket or whatever uh, we did back then. And then I'll never forget what happened next. Dave played a video, as in a VHS video cassette, remember those? And, uh, and the video was some guy on a stage walking around, writing stuff on a chalkboard, and all the while teaching on the holiness of God. And I was absolutely amazed. I learned later who the man was. It was the famous R.C. Sproul, but I didn't care who he was at that moment. All I cared about was this God he was proclaiming. He taught from Isaiah 6 about the time Isaiah saw this vision of God in his temple and the seraphim covering their eyes and feet with their wings while they thundered out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And and this God's robe filled the temple and the smoke filled the earth. and, And as I heard about these things. My heart throbbed with awe and wonder over the majesty of God. It was a Saturday night I can never forget. In fact, sometime later when I was 16, I was asked to preach for the first time at the Wednesday night meeting in my assembly, and I knew exactly what I was going to preach on. I was going to preach on Isaiah 6 and the holiness of God. Now, some people actually object to this kind of teaching because they say it's not practical. Who cares if it's not practical? It's awesome. And it's who God is. Who cares if it's practical? But of course, it is practical. 
because it has the power. God's holiness has the power to capture our hearts, including seven-year-old and 17-year-old hearts. So in light of that, we needn't prefer the grace or love of God to his holiness, you are saying. Yeah, exactly. The, the holiness of God is exactly what we need. A book on modern media has a line in it that says, we are all aching to be odd. We're aching to be odd. We're in search of something bigger than ourselves that can satisfy our need for worship and wonder. We ache to be odd, which is uh, why we climb mountains and look at the ocean, visit Niagara Falls, drive to the Grand Canyon. This is why we watch the Olympics or buy tickets to big concerts, because we're craving for something bigger than ourselves, and we're never happier than when we are in awe. It's like when I used to work at this small airport, and the aircraft that flew there were mostly small flight training aircraft for the military, and, and one gets used to them pretty quick. But one day while I was getting ready for the air show we were going to host, this real plane flew by, as in an F-18, and I had no prior warning of its presence. One moment it was quiet, and the next, the air was just filled with this glory. I jumped as this magnificent fighter jet thundered past me and, and performed these acrobatic maneuvers. So the, the same instinct that makes people line up to buy tickets to see an air show on a Saturday afternoon was what got satisfied in me on a Saturday night as I, for the first time, encountered something of the holy, compelling awesomeness of God. Yeah, that's a good comparison, Mike. You've mentioned this ache to be odd that we all have. We were made to be worshipers, and we are restless without that, without something or someone to worship. And some people think that's why we're so easily addicted to breaking news or Netflix or our phones. We're searching for something compelling to look at, something that will grab our attention and make it stick, something that will satisfy our need to experience awe. But you're saying we can experience that awe when we encounter God in his holiness. Yeah, that's right. I, I remember a few years ago how ISIS was recruiting young people from North America to join its cause. And I read about some of the young people that they managed to recruit. And many of them weren't needing to be rescued from poverty or gangs or a very difficult life. Many of them lived in affluent homes. The reason they joined ISIS is because they wanted to be rescued not from a tough life, but from a trivial life. And, and lately I've been picturing it, picturing it this way, that, that I'm driving this huge triple trailer semi-load and the load is really heavy and huge and awkward and I'm driving around through life, but I have nowhere to take it to. You know, I'm, I'm stuck with it. I'm driving around, but I have no delivery address. Where am I supposed to take this thing? Or maybe I find a place that I think I should deliver it to, but when I get there, I find out it can't receive such a big shipment. Well, what is this load I'm talking about? It's my shipment of devotion and wonder. I'm looking for a place big enough for me to pour out all my sense of wonder and devotion. And the world keeps telling me, oh, you need to take it over there. You need to, it's your career or it's your stuff or it's, it's sex or it's this latest Netflix series or, or whatever. And every time I turn up with my big rig of wonder and devotion, I find out that the place that was supposed to be big enough to receive it isn't. It's some drab little deserted looking brick building with weeds growing in the sidewalk. And I think that's, that's not compelling enough to satisfy my need to be in awe. I can't pour out the devotion of my whole being onto that. And then I hear a man of God 
and he reads from the Bible about the holiness of God. And in about 15 seconds, I can tell that this guy knows what he's talking about because he's actually seen, he's actually experienced the holiness of God. And I realize this is what I've been searching for. This is the place. This is the God on whom I can pour out all my worship and wonder and awe and devotion. Why? Because when we encounter God in his holiness, we finally discover a beauty compelling enough to hold our attention and a cause large enough for us to devote our whole entire beings to it. And you use the word discover, Mike. We discover a beauty compelling enough to hold our attention. But isn't that also a sense in which it's God's holiness discovering us? I mean, that's that's true of the chapter you've already mentioned, Isaiah chapter 6. But it's also true of another great encounter with the holiness of God in our Bibles. I'm thinking of Exodus chapter 3. That's where Moses is at the burning bush. He's watching over the sheep at Horeb at, at the, the mountain of God. And it says, Exodus 3, verse 2 and 3, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. There was God capturing Moses with his holiness. Yeah, that's a great point. The, the Lord initiated it. And none of us would ever encounter the beauty of God's holiness if he didn't reveal himself to us. And notice from that passage, Matthew, it was a sight that compelled Moses to look. He was hooked. He says, I've got to see this. This is amazing. And the Lord sees Moses stopping to look. And the Lord speaks to him out of the fire. Don't take another step closer. Take off your sandals. You're standing on holy ground. This was no imagined sighting of a mythical monster. It was a captivating encounter with the holy God that would change Moses's life forever and alter the course of history. Well, Mike, we are now several minutes into this episode on the holiness of God, but I don't think you have yet given us a definition as to what holiness is. So that may be helpful. Now, lots of us know that it has to do with the idea of separateness, being separate. Maybe you can tease that out a little bit, especially for those who haven't yet read the chapter in the book. Yeah, it does have the idea of separateness. And and one proof of that is Leviticus 10.10, where it says, you are to distinguish between the holy and the common and between the unclean and the clean. In other words, the holy is distinct from, it's separate from the common or unclean. It's It's special. So let's start with that idea of separateness and ask ourselves, separate from what? The holiness of God is his separateness from, from what? Well, the, uh, maybe the first answer that comes to us is it's his separateness from sin, right? God's holiness means he's absolutely pure and there's no sin or evil in him at all. God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Hebrews 7 says that the Lord Jesus is a holy high priest separated from sinners. And, and so that's absolutely true. Holiness includes this aspect of God's utter separateness from sin. But it's also too narrow because the Bible speaks of holy water, holy ground, holy bread, a holy mountain. And, and clearly a mountain can't be holy because it hasn't sinned. And so there must be more to it. Separate from sin, yes, but more to it. Secondly, we could say, well, it's his separateness from all creation. And, and here's where Gooding and Lennox do such a good job, job in, in the chapter we read this week. And, and they're right. Yes, God's holiness means he is absolutely distinct from creation. He's in a 
completely separate category of being. He is completely independent of everything in the whole created order. He is superior to everything in every way. He's incomparably greater. His love is holy because it is infinitely greater than any other love. His justice is holy because it's infinitely greater than any other justice. Same with his knowledge and his wisdom and his power and so on. So God is separate and distinct from and superior over all creation. But if defining his holiness as separation from sin is too narrow, defining it as his separation from creation may be too temporal because God was holy before creation even existed. Our definition of his holiness must work even when there was literally nothing that existed apart from God himself, which, which leads us to the way Sinclair Ferguson has defined it. God's holiness is not just his separation, his separateness, it's his devotion. The devotion of each person in the Trinity to the other two persons in the Trinity. And so holiness is a way of describing his devoted love. And uh, Gooding and Lennox agree on this based on Leviticus 19, but, but Sinclair Ferguson says it this way, holiness is the intensity of the love that flows within the very being of God among and between each of the three persons of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And Mike, I'm glad that you've just introduced the subject of the Trinity as you explain this. You're not saying, obviously, that God is self-absorbed. The, the truth of the Trinity is key to what you're teaching us right now. Yeah, that's right. It's really important when we speak of these things to remember uh, the truth of the Trinity. I mean, even the verses that say God is love. Uh, can, yeah. can only be true for all eternity if there is a plurality of persons within yeah. God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, eternally loving one another before there was anything else to love. Amen. Yeah, so to get back to what Sinclair Ferguson was saying, he illustrates it this way. When he's asked to marry a couple, he gets the best view in, in the whole congregation. But when it comes time for the groom and the bride to kiss, he has to look away a little. The devotion, that fierce love between the man and the woman is too great and too close for him to watch. And in the same way in Isaiah 6, the seraphim and Isaiah himself, they have to look away. They have to cover their eyes. Why? Because of the amazing holiness of the infinite and intimate devotion of God. In other words, God is not just separate and distinct from the secular and the sinful. He's also absolutely devoted to the sacred, to himself. Holiness, then, is not only distance from other things, especially bad things, it's also devotion to something, devotion onto God. And so a mountain can be holy in the sense that it is set apart and devoted unto God. We are holy if we are especially set apart to be devoted to our sacred God. God is holy because the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are intensely devoted in love to each other within the Trinity. Well, that's a great way of summing up what I'm trying to say. Thank you, Matthew. And, and so let's just look at the holiness of God in Exodus 3 now with fresh eyes. It is an amazing encounter. The name of Mount Horeb means something like parched mountain. It's dry. Moses sees a fire, a bush on fire. Yet despite how dry it is, the bush never burns up. So get that image in your mind, a fire burning and burning and burning, and yet needing no fuel to keep it burning. And then remember, what God says when Moses asks him for his name. He says, I am who I am. 
And if that man we talked about can spend his whole life looking for Nessie, we could definitely spend our whole lives thinking about these amazing words, I am who I am. What is God saying? He's holy. He is who he is. He's completely independent and separate. He needs nothing. He's the fire that keeps burning, not because it's always being fed more and more fuel to keep it going. No, all that he needs to sustain himself, he finds within himself. He's self-existent. He depends on no one or nothing. He, he even defines himself. He's self-defining. He says, I am who I am. I am who I declare myself to be. He is wondrously holy. And this doesn't mean he's aloof. He's revealed in this fiercely hot fire of devotion to his own excellence and greatness and majesty. But look, the flame of fire he appears in is in a brush on the backside of a desert to this little shepherd with his sheep because this God has heard the cry of his little people down in Egypt and he's come down to rescue them. And, and he does rescue them with mighty power. You know the story. And you know that the people sing on the far bank of the Red Sea. Uh, and remember what the people sing on the far bank of the Red Sea. After seeing God drown all their oppressors, they sing, Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you? Majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders. God wasn't just expressing his holiness when he told Moses, Don't take another step, don't come closer. He also expressed his holiness when he redeemed his people from their slave masters. Amen. So let me just finish with this. We've talked about what God's holiness is, but let me come back to where we began with, with what it does to us. So three things. Number one, it exposes us. It exposes our creatureliness and sinfulness. Moses had to cover his face and take off his sandals. He was exposed as a sinner and as a little creature before the wonder, the incomparable wonder of the holy God. Remember Isaiah, after he sees the holiness of God, he says, Woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. Wow, do we ever need to encounter God's holiness right now? When I think about the words that come out of my mouth and the way some of us Christians are talking online, we need a fresh encounter with the holiness of God to expose us in our sin. But secondly, God's holiness rescues and redeems us. Yes, it exposes our need and weakness and sin, but it also purifies us. And we see this, as already mentioned in Exodus and in, in how God redeems his people, but we also see it in Isaiah 6, when uh, Isaiah is brought a coal from the altar and it purifies him of his sin. But thirdly, it exposes us, it, it rescues and redeems us, but thirdly, it captures us. And in captivating us, it sets us free. Moses saw the holiness of God and he was captured for life in a captivity that led to freedom. Isaiah saw it, and he was captured for her life by this gripping encounter with God's holiness. Both of those examples are excellent, Mike, because Moses and Isaiah both show us how this holiness of God is practical. It had a very practical impact in their life. Yeah, absolutely. And, and Gooding and Lennox point this out too, that, that when uh, a man or woman encounters the holiness of God, it, it nerves them, it steals them and gives them the nerve to refuse to bow down to the false gods and the false masters and, and to fight against them for freedom. And so you see Moses and Isaiah both facing the intimidating evil powers of their day and experiencing the victory through the mighty power of God. Let me just talk to you individually, each listener. Um, do, you, do you know what the perfect conditions for you to experience the holiness of God are? 
in a fresh way? Dry conditions. Are you in a dry spot in your life? Are you like Moses on parched mountain? You feel distant and dead. Then cheer up. Conditions are perfect for the fire of God's holiness to find you and captivate you with the sheer wonder and allure of the compelling beauty of God. Holy, 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 though the darkness hide thee, though the eye of sinful man thy glory may not see, only thou art holy, there is none beside thee, perfect in power, in love and purity. That, of course, is Reginald Heber's hymn, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Thank you, Mike, for excellent teaching and reminding us of our need to be captivated afresh by the greatness, the holiness of our God. Our next episode is going to be taking up the subject of justification. If you are reading along with us in Key Bible Concepts, uh, holiness was the opening chapter. We'd love you to read through the sections on sin and reconciliation and then justification. And that will be the one that we're going to explore in next week's podcast. Thanks so much, Mike. You're very welcome. And may the Lord bless you all, and may he help you to be captivated again by his holiness.